The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up with you. We gather upon this Lord's Day for worship, to worship Almighty God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, and to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather together to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe now and later at WBUR.org. We covet your prayerful and material support, your written and emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us here and now in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. Thank you. 
Let us pray. Grant, O merciful God, that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples to the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, as we gather upon the Lord's Day, we do so in a spirit of compunction and with an intention to lift our hearts in confession. We recognize that we may be moving on to perfection, to wholeness, but we have yet to arrive, and we do stumble, and we do err. And so we breathe the cleansing air and spirit of God's forgiveness and pardon, even as in preparing to pray, we sing together our Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ." and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
join me in reading verses from Psalm 124 responsively with the antiphon. Had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when our enemies attacked us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Please rise as you are able for the singing of our Gloria Patri, the reading of our gospel and a hymn. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. It is good to be home. We have missed you. We have missed your smiling faces, and we have missed your singing voices, and we have missed hearing the next verse and chapter in that ongoing narrative of the journey of faith that is yours and his and hers and ours. And we have missed worshiping with you. Although, as it happens, last Sunday, August 17th, we did join you. Our itinerant ministry and speaking north, south, and west completed. We had a Sunday free. And so before a blue lake and under a blue sky and upon the deck of a federal blue cottage, we became a part, Jan and I did, of the radio internet congregation of Marsh Chapel. The sprightly hymns, the beautiful choral and organ music, the crisp liturgy, the sermon, the word of God, the word fitly spoken, and the community moments of celebration for that hour enveloped us under a blue sky before a blue lake along a blue cottage as with you we offered our prayers and hymns to a blue God. As the last hymn was vibrantly sung, I thought, I could go to that church. So I turned to Jan and said, I could go to that church. And she said, rightly, you do. And further, right again, she said, you will be there next Sunday. I replied, you are so right. I have very little advice to, office and uh, advice to offer in friendship and partnership and marriage, but it does seem to me that that one line, you are so right, might be one to hold on to and to use every so often. Work it into your, your personal rhetoric, your relational dialogue. Marriage is mainly conversation after all. It will be a gift to you. It will be a blessing. We were so thrilled to join you by the internet last Sunday and to complete with you a summer of learning together. We have been learning through the voices of those present in these nine Sundays devoted to the gospel and emerging leadership. The Reverend Dr. Regina Walton, as she said, batted clean up. She now of West Newton, an Episcopal priest, for seven years, seven years, my teaching fellow in the Gospel of John. Like Lucy Davis, who went over Niagara Falls in a barrel, and the caption said, she lived, Regina lived through seven years. I can imagine a conversation in which someone says to her, you must have heard everything that the, that the dean thinks is true about the Gospel of John, every word he has to say that is worth saying. And she might have replied, yes, and I think I've heard a lot more than that as well. She was with us and with you. She is a person of great and soaring spirit and soul and faith diminutive in body, more Zacchaeus than Caiaphas, more David than Goliath. We made something of an odd couple together those years. But she did say afterward that she had had a radio responder say, Reverend Walton, Dr. Walton, in the pulpit of Marsh Chapel, you sound five feet seven inches tall. She was preceded by our own Reverend Brittany Lungsdorf, occupying for her second year a unique position anywhere in the country, the only one as far as we know, our university chaplain to all international 
students. She provides spiritual religious guidance here at Boston University to the 20% of our students who are internationals without regard to the petty narcissism of small religious difference. Her work is with Hindu and Muslim, with Buddhist and Baha'i, with Confucian and secular and all. Your dean came back for a moment of sermon and celebration before that, and he was preceded by our partner in ministry, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Walton, a dear friend, friendship becoming deeper and dearer every year, who came probably closest as the crow flies anyway from across the river at Harvard Memorial Church. His partnership in the gospel strengthens us, as does our sibling connection to the Harvard Memorial Congregation. Dr. Echo Nix came for two Sundays before Professor Walton. Dr. Nix came all the way from Furman College in South Carolina and brought to us, in addition to celebrating his uh, connection to his alma mater, Boston University, he also brought the mind and voice of a philosophical theologian. Our own brother Larry Whitney preceded him. Brother Whitney has never complained about preaching most Fourth of July weekends. He did so again this year, bringing celebration and sermon. He was preceded by the Reverend Dr. Stephen T. Cady II, a newly minted PhD from the Princeton School of Theology, studying with the Reverend Dr. Kenda Dean and writing in his dissertation, among other things, about Howard Thurman. He also doubles as my son-in-law. He brought his voice. We are learning through voice. And with his voice, he brought the voices of his wife and three children. Or, as might be said, depending on your perspective, the voices of our daughter and our three grandchildren that Sunday in June. Our own Reverend Dr. Robin Olson, spiritual director at the School of Theology and probably the most experienced and expert minister with regard to emerging adulthood, at least in New England, batted lead off for us June 22nd. Personally, these women and men, these voices, bring every measure of meaning to me. I am proud of them. Their varieties in background, their varieties in perspective, in gender, in race, in ethnicity, and their shared, their common average age with one notable decanal exception, they are largely themselves emerging adults. You heard the gospel of emerging adulthood largely from and through the voices of emerging adults. That is, through your ministry, Marsh Chapel, an extended virtual Marsh Chapel community, there is a generation of excellent young preachers, these and several others, emerging in and around us to carry forward the interpretation, the voice of the gospel. I am so proud of them. Another generation coming along. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We are learning together in voice. We are also learning together in thought. What did you learn this summer? Each of these sermons came with the burden of a particular truth. We teach our graduate students, at least I try to, to summarize a book in a page. So, without extra charge and as a benefit to those who may have missed one or another of the sermons, in nine sentences we will summarize the burden of their instruction, teaching, celebration, delight, and a surprise for us. Number one, the capacity for wonder is a mark of the faithfulness of emerging adulthood. Number two, emerging adults are looking for a regular hospitality that is substantive and even traditional in worship. Number three, 
Development of emerging adults is understood best not in a linear, but in a non-linear fashion. Number four, especially in college, the gospel of the transformed mind is at the center of development and life. Number five, we all do best to remember the cost of discipleship and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in particular. Number six, emerging adulthood, wise leadership, emerging leadership is humble leadership, all appearances to the contrary notwithstanding. Number seven, Academia can give you many things, but it cannot teach you how to live. For that, you will need a community of faith to be nourished, nourished, nourished. Number eight, shh, quiet, be silent. Silence is golden, as emerging adults know well. And number nine, emerging adults emerged from somewhere. That is, before they were such, they were children. And children are faithful partners in the pilgrimage of faith meant to be included especially in full in the hour and the liturgy and the echoing catechesis of worship. There you have a summer's worth of preaching. But in case you would like it summarized in nine words, nine adjectives, here you go. Emerging, the, emerge, the gospel of emerging adulthood is wondrous, hospitable, non-linear, transformative, costly, humble, nourishing, quiet, and childlike. We are learning together in thought. We are also learning together, especially across this summer, in conflict. In these weeks, wherever we have been, we recognize fully that the background of violence across the globe has been spilling over into the foreground of our existence and our experience. So we have been nourished, fed. Our hunger and faith and our thirst and faith have been fed and slaked by the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of grace. The gospel is the gospel of freedom. The gospel is, is the gospel of love. The gospel is the gospel of pardon. The gospel is the gospel of acceptance and how we have needed this summer to be reminded thereof. We are, you are, children of God. When you arise in the morning to offer your prayer, when at noon you pause to read a verse of scripture, when in the afternoon after work you pause to visit a shut-in neighbor, and when in the evening you write a check of donation, not just your tithe to your church, but an offering to something else, you are making a difference. Your faithful witness lasts, matters, and counts. Marsh Chapel, your learning together lasts, matters, and counts. And how we have needed to hear that in this summer of violence in the background spilling over into existence in the foreground. A summer of Iraq and Syria, including and especially the gruesome events of this week, of Gaza and Israel, of Ferguson and race, of climate and warming, of debt personal and debt national, of college women and campus safety, and of all the individual, personal challenges and struggles we face individually and we face in this community of faith. We are learning in conflict. All of these and other issues will have their place in the preaching coming this autumn. We will lift out this morning just a reflection for a moment upon Ferguson, focusing on the Reverend Irby Bledsoe. You know, we together believe in the land of the free and the home of the brave. We share a hope for liberty and justice for all. We have an aspiration that all will be treated without regard to 
prejudice or preference. The same with regard to the law. This is the way we like to see ourselves. And then an apocalyptic moment, an eschatological revelation, a moment like that in Ferguson occurs as it did last summer with Trayvon Martin. And it's as if a mirror, a long rectangular mirror, a nice wood encased glass is held up before us. And we see ourselves not as we think we are or hope we would be, but truly as we are. And see the layers that go back through mistakes in the 1930s, through conflict in the 19th century, the layers of distrust, disharmony, violence, fear, hatred. And we are ready to come again next Sunday and to lift our own voice in the prayer of confession and confunction, compunction and lament. We should be clear, this is not about events somewhere in the Midwest. This is about you and me. This is about me. This is about who we are together. Sometimes a sermon is like a mirror, a large rectangular wood encased sphere. We don't have, for those listening, there isn't a mirror I'm holding here. I'm just stretching my arms out so the radio isn't behind the actual congregation at all. A sermon sometimes is a reflection, not of who we think we are, but who we truly are. We have been ready this summer to hear the gospel and to be so encouraged. Reverend Irby Bledsoe, 43 years a pastor in Ferguson, built his own church with his own hands. Did you notice that one of the healing influences this past week came not exclusively but partly through the leadership of the clergy and within that the black clergy? Why? Because these women and men, as they are engaged fully in ministry, are spending 20, 25 hours each week visiting their people, listening, listening, praying at home, in hospital, at work, in a third place, restaurant or otherwise. And one by one, bit by bit, in those 25 pastoral visits a week, they are building a bank account. And with each one, they are putting a little deposit, a spiritual deposit, in the bank, the savings and loan of community trust and credibility. So that when the wind blows and a withdrawal needs to be made, there is some credibility there. There is some trust there. There is an investment in what will make for justice by the way of peace. That is, there is an institutional component. Now we are getting close, if you wondered, to Matthew 16. I was enchanted by an article about millennials in last Sunday's uh, newspaper, also online. Online you can hear the voices of these emerging adults who champion the centrality of empathy. So glad. It was heartening to me to see and hear that as has been reflected on our sermons this year. There was also, and I felt some empathy for this, um, a, a criticism of and a dis disdain for institutional life, particularly religious and political institutions. You know, I felt that because I've spent some time around institutions, including religious ones, and I can testify that most communities are sources of endless contention and intractable difference. That's community life. But I wonder, and learning together, especially with regard to conflict into the next year, we may want to wonder together, how does empathy find traction in history? We know that faith without works is dead. What about empathy? without some form, maybe a new form, of institutional life. Isn't it the case that real empathy to provide action for the good that makes a lasting difference requires the shaping and formative influence of institutions? This is what Matthew 16 is about. 
Didn't Martin King need the NAACP, the SCLC, SNCC, and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund? He surely did. Didn't Frederick Douglass need the North Star? He surely did. Didn't John Wesley need the annual conference as a way of employing and deploying clergy? He surely did. Didn't Kate Millett need now? She surely did. Didn't Francis Willard need the WCTU? She surely did. Didn't Abraham Lincoln need the Republican Party? He surely did. Didn't Bob Hill benefit from Methodist churches, Camp Kasowasco, Ohio Wesleyan, Union, McGill, Colgate Rochester, Boston University, and Marsh Chapel? Yes, he surely did. For our empathy, shared empathy, to find traction in the midst of a conflicted history, we shall need to learn together about institutional life. And by the way, the Reverend Irby Bledsoe, 43 years a preacher, could have said about his church, as Matthew said here, at least so far, the gates of hell have not prevailed against it. Which brings us through learning in voice and learning in thought and learning through conflict to learning in scripture, that is, in conclusion. Isn't that a wonderful line in a sermon? In conclusion, finally, at last, Gospel of Matthew inverts his inheritance from Mark chapter 8. You are people of grace. You know with Albert Camus that a healthy community is a community that is continuously learning together. A healthy institution is a community that is continuously learning together. Camus said, Society should be a large circle in which women and men sit and sit down and see each other and say across the circle, I am not God and you are not God and you are not God and I am not God and we are not God together. Matthew has taken his inheritance from Mark, emptied it, and inverted it, changed it almost to the very opposite of what Mark wrote in the year 70. Mark wrote that Peter was to be called Satan, get behind me Satan. Matthew calls him rock and gives him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Mark had written that secrecy was to fall upon everything that had happened and been said had been done. Matthew says, preach it except for the title, Messiah. Mark has no sense, no numinous sense of an emerging church, at least in that passage. And Matthew uses the word, ecclesia. Why does Matthew gut Mark? Because in his age he sees that his community, learning together, needs institutional protection, institutional support, institutional nourishment, keys, kingdom, Peter, rock, all, perhaps under the aegis of the coming terror and reign of Domitian. And he says, to conclude with Irby Bledsoe, maybe it's whistling past the graveyard and maybe not. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Hear the good news of the summer of 2014, our eighth National Preacher Series, the Gospel in Emerging Adulthood. By God's grace, we are learning together in voice and in thought and in conflict and in scripture. Oh, just one more thing. Some of you are old enough to remember Peter Falk playing a, car a character, Columbo, in which whatever the weather, he wore a long white raincoat. He'd finish his statement, move away, and then come back and say, just one more thing. Who do you say he is? Notice the passage moves from general and philosophical to specific and personal. It begins with the general, son of man, and the philosophical, Elijah and 
Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus moves to the particular and the personal. That is, who do you say that he is? Who do you say in the way you're living, in the way you are learning together, who he is? Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you? And you? And you? Amen. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, we welcome you to follow your tradition and stand, remain seated, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together the hymn, Lead Me, Lord, found in your bulletin or in the hymnal on page 473. Holy and living God, we lift your name in praise and with our whole hearts we give you thanks for your steadfast love and faithfulness. It is a good thing to be able to come together as a community of faith to worship you. Thank you for the technology and resources that afford us the opportunity to share the joy of worship here at Marsh Chapel with the city of Boston and beyond via radio and around the world via internet. As we reflect on the last nine weeks of services, we are grateful for the ministers who served us during the Summer Preacher Series here at Marsh Chapel. Thank you for the opportunity to hear the word through their voices, and we pray that you bless them, that they may continue to serve you through their ministry to others. As we look forward to the new academic year and the return of students and staff, we ask you to renew our minds and hearts so that we use the diverse gifts given to us according to your grace. Transform us so that we will freely volunteer to, give, to use our gifts to strengthen this church community and honor you through preaching, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and forgiving. We thank you for your unfathomable mercy as we confess that we have strayed from your path, and yet you still love us. Forgive us, gracious God. Heal our hearts and help us to keep our minds focused on you. God, our refuge and strength, we are troubled by violence around the world, around the nation, and around the corner. Confident that you are our very present help, we pray for peace. We pray for all who have lost their lives or risk their well-being while working to achieve that peace. We ask for your blessing for those who are suffering from illness, alienation, and helplessness. Be with those who are mourning the loss of dear loved ones. As your faithful servants, we offer ourselves to be instruments of your blessings, and we ask for discernment to recognize, understand, and respond to the needs of others. Touch our hearts so that we may be the peace of your presence to those in despair. Renew our spirits and give us guidance and courage so that we may be manna for those who hunger for attention, understanding, acceptance, and respect. We are thankful for your faithfulness in answering when we call out to you. Hear our prayers, Lord. 
Hear our private prayers to you as well as those we pray together as a congregation, for we raise them to you in the name of the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Amen. And now as a community of faith, we pray together the prayer that our blessed Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel this Sunday morning. We invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We welcome back our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he has been away in the summer months, and uh, it's great to have his voice back in the pulpit. We look forward next Sunday, August 31st, to welcoming a new class of matriculating students for our annual matriculation service. That's right here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning uh, on August 31st here in the nave. We do remind you that the academic year begins very shortly thereafter on Tuesday, September 2nd. We invite you as the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering to meditate on Giacomo Rossini's O Salutaris Ostia. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
merciful God, as we present these gifts to you this morning, we also present ourselves. May these, our spiritual and embodied gifts, be holy and acceptable to you. Help our discernment of your will, word of life, so that these gifts may be of use in your service in the world. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. 